All right, we're going to finish up our series that we started seven weeks ago on the seven deadly sins. What we've been doing in this series is, let's see if I got this working. I don't know if you need to do something or if I need to do something. The power's on. Mike, do, we, do you know? Did I break something? I'm going to blame you. <laughs> I just restart it? There we go. I could have done that, I guess. Yeah, man, you're so smart. All right, thank you, Mike. By the way, I have to say, I said this in the first service. I'm gonna, I got to embarrass you again in this service. So one of the th- I don't know if you guys listen to the other sermons. We, uh, we have a YouTube channel or a Spotify channel uh, for Alpine Church sermons. You can find a link to it in the resources uh, menu at alpinechurch.org. But one of the things I do is I like to listen to the sermons at the other campuses every week. Um, every week we're preaching the same ser- sermon uh, at every campus, but it's, every sermon's different because we, we give the general outline, but then the, whoever's preaching then needs to make it their own and study it and pray and, and personalize it. And, and so I love to jump on there and listen. And so this week I listened to Mike's sermon from last week. If you were here last week, then you know what I'm talking about. You guys have a great teacher in Mike. I don't know if you know that, but, but Mike is gifted as a teacher. And, and we, we didn't really, when we origin, when Eric said, hey, I think Mike needs to be the pastor of this campus, I wasn't sure what we were going to get as far as a teacher was concerned, because teaching is something that we didn't used to, we didn't used to put that on the job description for our campus pastors. When we, you know, years ago, Riverdale was our first campus. The first campus pastor we hired in Riverdale was not, a, he was great with people, but he wasn't a teacher. And so it wasn't part of the formula for us, but over the years, we've just realized how valuable it is to have the, the lead pastor at the campus to also be a teacher, to also be gifted in teaching. So what that means for us is we've, we've had to really, it's been a little bit harder to, to qualify our guys for, for, the, for that job. It's really an important job. And uh, Mike is gifted. I, you know, for someone who's only been preaching for a couple of years, um, he is, he's really gifted. Some of, some of you have been around long enough. I know Dave and Sue have been around long enough to see some of the guys on staff that the first few times we had them preach, it was a little bit, little bit of a challenge. You know, you're like, okay, they'll get there. But man, that was tough because we, we really believe in empowering. We want to be an empowering church. We think that's a biblical value to be empowering. Um, and so sometimes the trade-off is when you empower, when you're very empowering, you, you lack excellence. But man, I've been really impressed at Mike's gifting to teach. Um, I think he's phenomenal. I listened to his sermon last week and I couldn't get enough of it. I'm like, this is so good. It was so much better than my sermon on envy. Uh, and Mike took the lead on that sermon. He, he helped all the other guys prep for that sermon. I think that was the first time you've done that. It, it, was, it was great. So you guys have a great pastor in, in, in Mike. And I'm not just saying that because he's twice my size. I really... <laughs> I really mean it. You guys have a great, a great pastor. And also, he's just got such a great heart for people. So it really is kind of that combination that we love to see. And, and Pastor Eric is the same way. He's got a great heart for people. He's a great leader, and he's a, and he's a, a great teacher. By God's grace, he has the gift of teaching. So I just praise God for Mike, and, and I'm happy to, to be here with you today as we finish up this series. So, so last, last week, he preached on envy. That was week number six, so that means we've covered pride and envy and anger and gluttony and greed and lust. And so if you're any good at 
the process of elimination, you know what that leaves us with. Today we get to talk about sloth. And some of you are like, what the heck is sloth? And uh, I've been kind of looking forward to this sermon since we started this series. When I, we started prepping all of these together, I thought, this is the one I can't wait to preach. I can't wait to, pre- I've never preached on sloth before. And I really learned a lot as I prepared for this particular message. And so I hope that you'll also learn. I think you're going to learn some things you weren't you didn't, you didn't know about before. I know that I did for this series. So here's the big idea in this series. The seven deadly sins is not a list to keep us from getting the most out of life. The opposite is actually true. And the sin of sloth proves it. So some of you, that might be how you think about it. You might be thinking, okay, wait, so, so God's, you know, sin is something that God doesn't want us to do. That's true. And so if you're, if you're not, if you're not very well read on the Bible, you don't, maybe you're still trying to wrap your mind around who God it is, who God is, what he cares about. You might have a picture of God that goes something like this. Like God is this cosmic killjoy. He wants to give us a list of things we're not supposed to do so that we can have no fun in life. So you can't lust. Well, that's no fun. You can't be greedy. Well, that's no fun. You can't be a glutton. Well, that's no fun. So you can easily look at that list and you could say, God just doesn't want me to have fun. That's that's what he's about. He just doesn't want me to have fun. And that's why I love that sloth is on our list because it's the the one on the list of of those seven sins. And by the way, these seven sins, you're not going to find this single list anywhere in the Bible. Like these are the deadly sins. This was made up by some monk in the dark ages He actually came up with eight, and then later on there was a pope that whittled them down to seven, and then we've got some books written about it and some movies made about it. And so Seven Deadly Sins is is a little bit more of like a cultural thing. People would basically know what you're talking about, but they probably are thinking about a movie when you say that anymore these days. But again, it's not a list anywhere. It's just a monk came up with it, and some of you are probably like, well, yeah, exactly. A monk came up with it. Monks are losers, you know? (laughs) So some loser somewhere in the dark ages came up with this list of things you're not supposed to do. And I don't want you to get that idea about Jesus. That's not how Jesus is. He's not like a cosmic killjoy saying, don't you go having fun. I don't want you to have fun. You got you to be sequestered away. You know, like the ultimate thing that you could do is be a monk and not be involved in the world. And that's why I love that sloth is on the list because as you're going to see, sloth is all... Is all the opposite of sloth is enjoying life. And so let's start with the definition of sloth, a dictionary definition. If you look it up, if you Google it, you're going to find definition number one is a reluctance to work or make an effort. It's laziness. And that's what I've always thought about when I've thought about sloth. I've thought about laziness. And I want you to know this is the dictionary definition, and I'm going to give you a better definition in just a second. The second definition in the, bio, in the dictionary is a slow-moving tropical American mammal that hangs upside down from trees. Now, you look at that sloth, you look at the picture of the sloth, I think of Sid the sloth, because our kids were Ice Age kids, you know, that was, Ice Age was out when our kids were little. I think there's another sloth now in some show, what is it? In some, and, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, oh, that, okay, that's what it is, yeah. I know there's another sloth in a kid's thing, but my kids are, don't watch those anymore, so I don't know who that is. But, so you look, at the, you look at those cute little creatures, you know, like, how could that be bad? 
How could that cute little guy be bad? How could sloth be bad? Well, here's how it's bad. Here's my definition of sloth. Here's a biblical definition of sloth. Sloth is giving up on life and relationships. So it looks like laziness, but in reality, it's apathy. So a synonym for sloth, when you think about what's another way, another name for sloth, don't think of laziness, laziness, because I think you'll miss the point. Otherwise, you're just going to think, oh, I'm not a lazy person. No, the real sin of sloth isn't about laziness. It's about something more at the heart, more at the core. It's apathy. It's not caring. It's disconnecting. It's giving up. That's what sloth is. And that's why God is so against sloth, because it goes against his heart. It goes against what he cares about. It goes against his purpose for you and for me in our lives. I love what author Dorothy Sayers says. Sloth is the sin which believes in nothing, cares for nothing, seeks to know nothing, interferes with nothing, enjoys nothing, loves nothing, hates nothing, finds purpose in nothing, lives for nothing, and only remains alive because there's nothing it would die for. That's sloth. So sloth is the opposite of getting the most out of life. And Jesus wants us to get the most out of life. He wants his followers to be engaged. He doesn't want his followers just being worried about this list of rules that, that, we, that he's going to zap us for if we cross him. He's, that's not how God's heart is for us. God's heart is he wants us to go after life. He wants us to enjoy life. He only gives those boundaries. He only defines sin for us and gives those boundaries like those other six sins we've talked about. Because when you have boundaries, you can enjoy it. One of my favorite examples of of, of God's desire for us is, is to picture a, a family and you've got this huge yard in your backyard, but it, but it borders a highway. And you want, as a, as a good dad, as a good mom, you want your kids to go out in the backyard and have fun in the backyard. That's what a backyard is for. You want your kids to have fun back there. So you want them to go out there and you set up a soccer field out there in the backyard. And, and the problem is, is they're just afraid to kick the ball because it could go into the street and then they'll be in danger. So imagine if you put up this, this, huge, this huge tall fence to keep them inside that backyard, then what's gonna happen? Now they're gonna love it. Now they're gonna really be able to enjoy. Now they're gonna be able to go all out and play, right? So that fence, that fence isn't something that's keeping them from enjoying life. That boundary, the fence is something that, that frees them to enjoy life. And that's how, God's, that's how God's rules are. That's how God's principles are. His principles are given to us so that we can really get the most out of life. Because, because what you learn is if you experience, if you let lust run rampant in your life, you think you're having fun. You think that's going to bring you joy and satisfaction, but it never does. It's a false pathway to satisfaction or joy. Or you think that if you just gorge yourself on food this Christmas Eve, that that's going to be fun, but you're going to feel terrible, right, later on in the evening. So God gives us boundaries so that, so that we know, so that we can really enjoy the freedom within those boundaries. That's why God gives us these boundaries. Jesus himself said in John 10.10, 10, 
the thief's purpose, he's talking about the devil, Satan. He says Satan's purpose is to kill, to kill and to steal and destroy. That's what he wants to do. He wants to destroy you by any means possible. But Jesus said, my purpose, my goal, my heart, my intent for you is that you would have a rich and satisfying life. This is what Jesus wants for you. He wants you to have a rich and satisfying life. He wants you to feel freedom to really live your life. And that's why sloth is on our list. Because if you, if you suffer from sloth, if you suffer from apathy, you're missing out. You're missing out on God's purpose for you. You're missing out on what God made you for, what he built you for. He doesn't want you to be a monk. I want you to know that. God doesn't want you to be a monk. The picture of genuine faith is not of monks hidden away in their monasteries, but rather of men and women engaged in their world. That's a biblical picture of the life that we have in faith in Christ. And I want men especially to hear this, because one of the reasons, you know that Christianity is one of the only religions that has a crazy imbalance between the men and the women who participate. Christianity has far more women participating in it than men. And most other world religions aren't that way. Most other world, world religions are dominated by men. And, and men show up, men come. And Islam is dominated by men. And I think that part of the reason for that is because men miss the point. Men think that Christianity is not for them. They want to be, a, they're going to be a manly man and go do something more manly out there. And I, I want you to know that is, that grieves God's, God's heart to hear, to know that men think, I think that's Satan's trick to get us to think that, that, that Christianity is not a team sport. It's not an active thing. It's supposed to be active. One of the things that I love about our staff is we've got guys like Mike. I show off this guy as much as I can when I talk with other pastors out of the state, because I love that we have manly men, men who don't have hair, you know, and men who, who can take you out. I love that. I love that Eric, Eric is a, is, a, is a manly man as well. He has hair, but he's got muscles too. And so he's a, he's a tough, I love, we love that, the, that our pastors are tough guys. They're, they're take action guys. I love that. Every one of our pastors is a take action kind of a guy. And that's, I think, what God wants. He doesn't want us to be disconnected. He doesn't want us to be uninvolved in our church, in our world. He doesn't want us to say, oh, the religion thing, honey, that's for you and the kids. It's not for me. Christianity is not for real men. Christianity is for women and kids. And I'm not trying to, by the way, I'm not trying to denigrate women and kids at all. I, I, I love that we have so many women that are involved. My wife is a strong woman, and I love that. And my daughter is a strong woman, so don't, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. What I'm saying is God calls all of us to be involved, to be engaged, men and women who are engaged and on the front lines. That's the, vision, that's the visual that we should have of Christianity. Think about the Faith Hall of Fame in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11 talks about all of these characters from the Old Testament. And I love how the author says this. He says, Noah built a boat. And I don't know if you've ever tried to work with wood before, but you can go back in the Old Testament and you can read all of the specifications that God gave to Noah and it's intense. It's right there in your Bible. 
It's intense. Noah, built, Noah was a man of action and he built a boat when they hadn't even probably seen rain before. So it, was, it took crazy faith for, for him to do it. But what's the point? He was a man of action. And then we see it, he goes on, he says, Abraham left his home. When God called Abraham and he said, Abraham, I'm gonna, I'm gonna change the world through you. He said, get up and leave your home. And then Abraham traveled and he became a nomad, a nomad the rest of his life. Translation, God called Abraham to be a man of action. And then Moses fought for his people. Maybe you know the story of Moses. He was, he was born in the lap of luxury. He was an Israelite, but he was raised as an Egyptian, the son of Pharaoh. And so here, here he is. He's got all that he wants, and he gets mad because he's immature. He gets mad, and he kills an Egyptian, and then he flees and takes off. And you might think that God would just let it end there. Yeah, Moses, you just go off into the wilderness and be a monk somewhere. Your life's over. That's not what happened. He called him back into Egypt. He led his people across the Red Sea into the, into the, eventually into the promised land. Moses was a man of action and he fought for the people of Israel. And these are just a few examples of the Faith Hall of Fame. And then what happens is the author goes on and he summarizes it like this. He says, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David, Samuel and all the prophets. By faith, he says, by faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They were not slothful. They were not inactive. They were engaged. They were men of God who were engaged. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of the fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. That's the picture of biblical Christianity for men and women. That's the picture of biblical Christianity. People who are engaged in their world and who are ready to take up arms in a sense, spiritually. They want to be involved. What's the opposite of that? Sloth, apathy. This culture's going to hell in a handbasket. I'm just going to pull away. I'm just going to take my ball and go home. That's sloth. That's apathy. That's disengaging from the world. That's saying, I'm not, I'm not going to care anymore. I'm going to just sequester myself away in my own little, in my own little uh, um, commune, my own little monastery. Modern day monasteries are churches, but not this church. This church has open doors and this church wants to go out. That's why Mike keeps telling you, invite someone to Christmas Eve. So many people made Alpine Church their home church because they came, someone invited them to Christmas Eve and it changed their life. We're baptizing a, a woman in the Leighton campus this morning whose life was changed. You'll get to hear her testimony on video someday soon enough. It's awesome to see her life was changed because someone invited her to church and she started pursuing the God of the Bible. And now she's involved. Now she's active. Now she, she has a meaning. She has purpose in her life. She has, a, she has a reason to get up in the morning. And this is how God's people have always operated. God wants us to be involved. God wants us to be present. And so the antidote to sloth is to purposefully engage in the world. And the payoff is joy. So what, remember, Jesus said, I want you to have a rich and satisfying life. I want you to have a joyful existence. You can't, I believe you can't have a joyful existence if you just make your life about yourself 
and you just withdraw from the world. I think the joyful existence that we can have as followers of Jesus is, is what happens as we get engaged and get involved. So again, that means here at, at church, at this campus, find a place to serve. That means through missions week. That means through uh, inviting people to Christmas Eve. That mean, I mean, there's a, there's a bunch of applications for this. You can talk about that with your small group or your mentor or your family later today. And I encourage you to talk about this. This is a great one, by the way, parents, to talk with your kids about. Because you know what sloth looks like at Christmas? This week, you know what sloth looks like for your kids? Here's what it looks like. Kids, watch this. Students, watch this. This is sloth right here. That's sloth. That's what that's called. You're disengaging from the family. Mom and dad, are, you, you know, aunts, uncles, you know, grandma, grandpa, cousins are over, whatever. Maybe it's just your immediate family. It doesn't matter. And you're sitting there at Christmas time, and instead of being present at the table, instead of being present with your family, you're just right here. And you're just living in this little world right here. You're not engaged in your real world. You're just right here. And so one of the ways, an application for this message this week is to put these down. Say, hey, on the 24th, we're putting these down, at least for a couple hours. Let's put these down. Mom and dads, too. Because it's not, it's, some of you are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's parents, too. We, can, parent, we all can do the same thing. I can't wait for beepers to come back. Just, everyone just has beepers, you know? Some of you are like, what's a beeper? Engage in the world, and the payoff is joy. You'll have joy when you engage in the world. Hebrews chapter 12, back to this passage. We already saw chapter 11, where it talked about this, these, all these people, Abraham and Noah and Moses, this faith hall of fame. And then in chapter 12, the author says this, therefore, since we're surrounded by these guys, such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, he says, let us strip, look at this, let us strip off every weight that slows us down and makes us slothful. Especially the sins that so easily trips us up, whether it's any of the seven sins we've covered or, or any other sin. And he says, let us sit around on our butts. No, that's not what he says. He says, let, some of you just looked up like, really? That says that? It says, no, let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. This is the, he's like, he's saying, don't, don't disconnect, don't disengage, don't be apathetic, don't give up. Let's, let's, let's run, he says. He says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. He's the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, it says, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. The picture that we have here is that Jesus is looking at the cross right? He's looking at the cross and he's saying, I don't want to do this. I'd rather disconnect. I'd rather disengage. I'd rather sit back. I'd rather shrink back. I don't want to do this. Now we know, we know that that was a temptation for Jesus because in the garden, he said that same thing to the father. He said, take this cup from me. I don't want to do this, he said, but he did it anyway. Why? This this verse tells us why, because of the joy on the other side of it. So it's like this picture that there's this thing that I don't, I don't know if I want to do, and maybe you can relate to that. I, don't, I feel like the Holy Spirit is convicting me to be more engaged or to step out or to reach out to this neighbor or to this friend. Maybe there's some specific application to this that you felt a little conviction about today, which is great. 
And, and you're sitting here, there's a battle going on in your head right now. And the battle is, do I, do I re, is it really worth it to engage? Or do I want to just kind of shrink back and not engage in that thing? And I, wanna, I want you to know Jesus gets that. Because he was looking at the cross and he was thinking the same way about the cross. Do I really want to do this? But he did it. Why? Because of the joy on the other side of it. He recognized that if he would do this, if he would stay engaged, if he would be present, if he would finish his mission, that on the other side of that would be joy, not just for him, but for you and me, the freedom that comes because of what Jesus did on the cross. And that the same can work for us, that if we would, if we would say, God, give me the strength to, to endure and to step into this and to stay engaged, then we would experience joy on the, uh, the, the other side of it, which is what Jesus wants to give us. He wants to give us a rich and satisfying life. That's what he's talking about. And so he says, think of all the hostility that Jesus endured from sinful people, and then you won't be slothful. Then you won't be weary and give up. That's sloth. That's literally what sloth is, is being weary and giving up and saying, not worth it. And, and what the author of Hebrews says is, think about what Jesus did. He didn't, he didn't take the easy way out. He endured. He endured so much. So let that be a great model for us to, to stick with it and to fight for it. Sometimes in our pastor's meetings, we just need to stop and, and encourage one another and pray for one another. Because it's hard sometimes being a pastor. And, and for some of you, you might say, that's how I feel with my job. That's how I feel at my workplace. It's hard. It's, sometimes it's hard to get up in the morning or to go, you know, Tracy and I watch the news at dinner time, and sometimes we just watch the news and I'm just like, Lord Jesus, just, would you just come back? Would you please just come back? I'm so, done, I'm so done with this. I'm so sick of this. That's sloth. That's sloth to say, I want to just check out of this. God wants us to stay engaged because we can still make a difference. And so the opposite Graham Tomlin writes, the opposite of love isn't hatred, it's indifference. If indifference is at the heart of sloth, then sloth is the enemy of love, which makes it the enemy of the best thing there is, the heart of God, the heart that beats at the center of the universe. God's heart, we started this series with this, this big idea, this, this, the seven deadly sins are bad habits that destroy our ability to love God, others, and ourselves. The, the, this whole list of seven deadly sins is all about the opposite of loving God and people. And sloth is a part of that. Sloth is the uh, apathy, indifference is the opposite of loving God and people. It's loving yourself more than other people. And so you just withdraw. And so may we not fall prey to this deadly sin, this last of these seven deadly sins. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you would help us, um, that by your Holy Spirit, that you would minister this message to us, God, that we would receive it, um, that we would hear with ears and with a heart that's willing to put into, put into practice what you're calling us to do. And I pray, God, I pray for this week. I pray for our families where apathy and disconnection and 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 moms and dads or, or kids not being present can really, can really ruin the joy that we could have at a time of year like, like Christmas time. And so God, I pray that this week would be a great week. I pray it'd be the best week 
that some of these families in this room today have ever had because we're engaged. We're engaged with you and we're engaged with one another. And Lord, I pray that the payoff for that would be joy. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.